0: Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. I thought we'd begin with a little quiz on the subject of fasting. So, number one, who was the first person recorded fasting in the Bible? Did I hear Moses? Correct. What was the longest length of a time of fast? How long, how, what was the longest fast on record in the Bible? Nathan? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Well, here's the thing. According to Deuteronomy 9, 9, and then 18, it might have been 80 days, and here's why. Moses fasted for 40 days on Mount Sinai when he was receiving the law. And then when he came down and broke the tablets, he went back up the mountain and received new tablets, and he fasted for 40 days that time. And so some commentators feel like he didn't snack in between, and so he may have been supernaturally, uh, he lost a lot of weight, but he may have been supernaturally sustained for a period of 80 days. So uh, the longest fast may be 80 days. And then who were the three people who fasted for 40 days each? Obviously, Moses was one. Who were the other two? Nathan, Jesus, and one more? No. Eh, maybe, but we don't know. <laughs> Elijah. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Okay, so first person, Moses. Longest period of time, 40 days, maybe 80 days. Uh, who were the three people who fasted for 40 days each? Moses, he did it twice. I, or, you know, if you look, and then Elijah and Jesus. Now, it's interesting, fasting, you may not know this, but fasting has come under attack in recent years, <clears throat> mostly from large people. But uh, there, are <laughs> there are certain Christian scholars and intellects who have decided that fasting is nowhere commanded as a binding obligation, and so we don't really need to worry about fasting. They make some biblical sense, For example, I'll just read a quote so you know that this is a position you'll run into. Uh, Jesus' disciples did not fast as commonly practiced. Some asked why Jesus' disciples did not fast, Mark chapter 2. Jesus replied, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Fasting as currently practiced was associated with sorrow for sins. Jesus stated that his coming was associated with joy and not grief and that mandatory fasting would be inappropriate. He came to liberate us from sin, not to have us grovel in it. If fasting was absolutely mandatory as a spiritual duty, Jesus and his disciples would have been fasting. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, this author says, refers to his violent seizure in his arrest and death, not after his ascension into heaven. The disciples had joy in Jesus' triumphant ascension, Jesus seizure in Gethsemane was an unhappy separation it would prompt fasting from sorrow among the disciples in times of distress our appetites may very well leave us and it is then natural to fast in such times of sorrow Jesus went on to state his new covenant message would not uh, would not patch up old Judaism so the idea there is that we're since Jesus has dealt with the sin issue we're filled with joy he's our bridegroom we're waiting for him so it's inappropriate to fast although we what I like about that, what they say, is that it, 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 they're trying to say you're not commanded to fast. You can fast if you want to, but it's not a command. We might also note that a particular day for fasting was commanded in the Scripture only once. It was the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. The fast on the Day of Atonement was connected with a deep, mournful spirit in confessing sin. Again, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ has become our atonement, so we no longer observe the Day of Atonement. Uh, and then in all the rest of the Bible, there are no other scriptures which command fasting at a specific time or on a specific repeated occasion. And so there, if you want to be really edgy, you, know, you, you, you adopt this position that, that centuries of Christians who have fasted are just a little bit off because you know, we know now that fasting isn't commanded. It seems better and more biblical to see fasting as one of the trifecta. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. Uh, he didn't say if you do any of those things. He didn't say when you give and when you pray, and if you fast. And, and it's pretty clear that we're supposed to give and we're supposed to pray, and so I, I don't see what the problem really is with fasting. On a very practical level, however, I think it's safe to say that the majority of Christians do not practice fasting of any kind on any regular basis. Uh, it's it's a pretty much a dormant discipline uh, in the church in terms of, of fasting. I, I know on my own, I've, I've, I can, I'll be honest with you, I've fasted very little in the time that I've been a Christian. Uh, and I just think it's one of those things that we, we just don't do for some reason. Uh, we talk about it, and uh, we intend to do it, and we don't do it. And so what Jesus does first is he looks at the wrong way to fast in verse 16. He says, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, the Pharisees is who he's talking about. These are the guys who blew the trumpet when they gave their gifts and when they prayed on the street corners because they couldn't wait to get to church. They were so spiritual. And so everybody saw them giving and praying. They fasted every Monday and Thursday. Uh, and if you didn't know that it was Monday or Thursday, you could always tell when they were fasting because they walked around with long, sad faces, sullen cheeks, unbrushed teeth, and uncombed hair. I mean, that's the picture that Jesus gets, that they were just completely, I guess the word would be disheveled. So that you'd say, oh, there's Rabbi Hillel, he's fasting. And he'd go around with some kind of an odd... like your stomach pain, you know, oh, my stomach rumblings, you know, in your stomach and those kinds of things. The reward for people, uh, for letting people know you're fasting is that people know you're fasting. That's that's as far as it goes. It's a reminder, not just in fasting, but in all of our walk with the Lord to not try to appear more spiritual than you are. If you get up at 4 a.m. and spend two hours in prayer, don't tell anybody. That's the thing. You know, you don't, don't sit around and say, well, you know, this morning when I was up at four and Jesus appeared in my room and told me what he was going to be doing later on today. And I said, Lord, are you sure about it? I mean, you know, it, it's an exaggeration, but, and, and sometimes, I mean, if your motive is pure, that's fine. I mean, it, you know, if you're discipling somebody or, or it comes up in conversation, I mean, that's fine, but. Uh, I think sometimes all, all of us to a certain extent, some to a greater extent, we have a desire to appear more spiritual than we are. This is what the Pharisees did, and we all have a certain Pharisee spirit about us. We, we want people to think we're spiritual, uh, and, and so we sometimes drop certain things about how spiritual we really are, uh, and, and so we want to be careful about that. Don't go around tooting your own horn, drawing attention to yourself, portraying your spiritual discipline. It's hypocritical and it can even be harmful to others. Uh, Other people who maybe uh, look up to you or emulate you. I I mean, sure, you want them to come along, but uh, make sure that your discipline is sincere. I mean, if you got up once at four in the morning and prayed, uh, you know, don't act like you get up every morning and then somebody thinks, well, now i got to get up at four o'clock in the morning and pray every morning because, you know, to be like Gene... Uh, and stuff so we just need to be very very careful about our own spirituality and and others knowing about it tucked away in jesus rather comical description uh and i do think it's humorous and comical. i think jesus meant this to be funny uh you know he This could be part of a stand-up routine if it wasn't the Sermon on the Mount. What's with those guys fasting and their faces all disfigured and unbrushed teeth? I mean, I can see an audience cracking up at this. And, you know, the Jewish people generally respected the Pharisees as being spiritual. But you know that they thought in their heart, what's with those guys you know, going around you know, all unkept on Monday and Thursday so that we know how spiritual they are? And so when Jesus exposes this, it's funny. It's, it's a type of humor that we would respond to. Uh, there is an important point about fasting in this, and that is it's not really meant to be a physical punishment of our sinful flesh. It's not really denying our flesh because we're so wicked. It's, it's not you know, a monk-like activity. You know, it's, it, it's not like going into a monastery and, and trying to get away from things. Um, that's really not the focus. As we'll say in a moment, the focus is spiritual, and as an aside, you fast from the physical to concentrate on the spiritual. Uh, so verse 17 says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face. The Jews and all the neighboring peoples were in the habit of washing and anointing their bodies. Um, This washing was performed at every meal, and often the head or other parts of the body was anointed with sweet or some uh, other kind of oil, usually an olive oil. In a warm climate, exposed to the great heat of the sun, this practice would preserve their skin and uh, it 's kind of like a natural skin cream, and it afforded a most grateful sensation and odor. The smell in the third world, even today is awful and in these you know technologically primitive societies, not intellectually primitive, but you know with not a lot of technology in terms of how to dispose of waste and just cleanliness you know I mean some of you have been uh, we go camping without running water and it's pretty grungy I mean these people camped their entire lives (laughs) you know this is like one long camping trip with very little of the modern conveniences uh, you know that that we enjoy to keep ourselves smelling nice Uh, and, and so they would wash as often as possible and anoint their bodies. And so it would be very obvious when somebody hadn't washed. And so Jesus says, if you're going to fast, basically, he's setting up what he's going to say next, and that is don't let anybody know. Act like it's a, a normal day for you. Uh, keep it a secret. Don't fast on the day everyone goes out to lunch together and then sit there and not order anything. I mean, if you know that. Your office or your fellow employees are going to be going out to lunch on Wednesday. Wednesday is not a good day for you to fast and go to Panera or Chili's and say oh, nothing for me but water, please. I'm fine, you know. Especially with uncombed hair, and I mean, you know, just the whole the whole picture is just fantastically funny. And so we do, you know, think about it. We don't want to uh, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Uh, fasting is between you and God and should be your secret with the Lord, something that the two of you have decided upon. And so in verse 18, he says, So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It always really returns to having a relationship with God. Giving and praying and fasting are things you do with your Father looking on. He's like a dad who teaches you how to walk or later ride a bike. He works with you. It's hands-on. He encourages and increases your abilities to go farther. Uh, in our case, in, as Christians, it's to go farther in our walk with Him. Uh, no one else really matters. We want His secret, or you might say His intimate reward. Uh, spending time with Him, hearing His well done, drawing close to Him through giving and praying and fasting. There's really no greater reward than a sense of his presence in our life and so that's what we're going for so the pharisee or the pharisee like person who is letting everybody know that they're fasting <coughs> okay well then you're having a relationship with that person i'm having a relationship with kenny if i come to church and say man i'm just so famished i just i'm just just know what i'm going to do and well there's you know a freezer full of food there's other food in the refrigerator can i buy you now I'm fasting today. Well, now I'm having a relationship with Kenny about fasting. I'm either trying to make him feel bad that he's not fasting or you know, just make myself feel better that I'm fasting. And, and that's, that's where that exists. Um, if I'm having a relationship with God, I don't need to tell Kenny. In fact, I want to avoid Kenny. And, and it, you know, I won't fast on a day we're having a big work party at the church where he's going to buy pizza for everybody. Hey, the pizza's here. That's okay. You know, I'm fasting after all. you know, And so, you know, we want to be a little bit careful about all that. Uh, and, and really, that's the idea, the relationship aspect of it. I give unto God. I I pray, obviously, to God. But even in prayer, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount that we, we think of ways that we can pray publicly so that people think that we're more spiritual than we are. I think in certain, uh, <clears throat> I guess, more charismatic or Pentecostal churches, uh, the exercise of certain gifts of the Spirit is in this same vein. The, it's always the, the lady who speaks in tongues every week you know, is, uh, you know, is doing that probably as unto herself to be noticed uh, rather than you know, between herself and God. It's hard to believe that every week the same person would be prompted by God to speak in tongues publicly even though that seems to happen quite often. Uh, and and other people exercising different gifts of the spirit. Sometimes, I mean, you know, it, it goes to motivation, and we shouldn't always judge motives, or we shouldn't judge motives. Excuse me, but and we won't always know. Uh, but some people just are drawing attention to themselves, and so their relationship is on that human level. I'm I'm speaking in tongues for you, Murph. I'm not really speaking to God. And and when you look at it that way, you think, Wow, what a waste! How ridiculous! What do I care? What, if you think I'm spiritual or not? Because God knows if I am, and I just want to spend time with him and whatever you think. And, and what it comes down to is we do care a great deal about what other people think about us. We say that we don't. I know I'm in trouble every time somebody looks at me and says, I want you to tell me the truth straight on. No, you don't. Because when I do, you hate me. And, and you disagree with me. And the rest of your life is spent trying to prove that that isn't the truth. That, that you got it wrong, you know. It's only the truth to you. And so uh, we, we do care what other people think about us, uh, but we want to think more about what God thinks about us. So we want to keep this secret. This is, these are things we do with our Father. Uh, and then they spill over. We'll talk about this more in a moment. They spill over into our relationship with others. Because I give and pray and fast before the Father, I have a greater power and compassion and love and joy among people, and that's how I minister to people, not by showing them what, a, what an intensely spiritual person I am. Uh, for his part, God will show you his love openly, and as I just said, it manifests itself as that intangible, there's something about you that indicates to others you've been in God's presence, something that really can't be faked. Um, if you had the gift of discerning of spirits, uh, which I don't, but some people do, some people, they, they appear to everyone to be very spiritual, but that person knows that they're just a phony. You know, that they, they love the Lord, they're Christians, but everything is just surface hypocrisy. I want you to think I'm spiritual. The motive might be good because I want you to be spiritual too, so I want to come across like I'm praying and giving and fasting and doing all these things so that you'll catch on and be a better person. Uh, but, uh, you know, what we want is some, that intangible you know almost aroma of having been in the presence of Jesus Christ and and that's something that you can't really fake so what is fasting well biblically fasting seems to be abstaining from either food or drink or sleep or even sex first corinthians 7 to focus on a specific period of spiritual growth in the scriptures we see fasting primarily for two reasons there's maybe other things but mostly it'll fit into one of these two categories and the first one is for direction, uh, or l- what we might call leading, God's leading. Examples in the Old Testament are found in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, both of those men who would lead groups back to the Holy Land to uh reestablish the Jews after their Babylonian captivity. Both of them fasted for God's direction and leading in their lives. Uh, there are other periods of fasting, of course, in the Old Testament, but that's two examples in the New Testament we see examples uh, of this not only in the life of Jesus for example when he was going to choose the 12 he spent all night in prayer and fasting but also in the book of Acts we'll get to it in several Sundays Uh, the the, uh, there's I think it's Acts chapter 13 uh, at the church at Antioch uh, the Gentile church there. there is a group of men including Paul the Apostle and uh, Barnabas they're praying together the Holy Spirit speaks to them probably through a word of prophecy and says separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to which was the work of going out as missionaries to spread the gospel and uh, then they prayed and they fasted before they laid their hands on them and and ultimately sent them out and so there was a a a sense of of direction and God's leading there a second reason for fasting is what we might call liberation. Here's a quote from John Corson, who puts it very well. He says, "When you feel oppressed, bound, or hassled by some sin or problem, fasting can be a powerful weapon in your spiritual arsenal. Why? When you say to your stomach and start uh, when you say no to your stomach, excuse me, and start praying instead, something dynamic begins to happen. Saying no to your physical appetites helps you to say no to other temptations that hassle you. If you are plagued by temptation." I encourage you to begin to explore the discipline of fasting. When your stomach starts demanding, just say no and start praying. You'll find a power and a liberty that will help you overcome temptations that are seeking to enslave you. There's real power in fasting. If you need direction, if you hunger for liberation, skip lunch and seek the Lord. And so there's a sense of, uh, again, not, not um, um, punishing the flesh, but ignoring and denying the flesh and saying, hey, I, I, I'm going, instead of eating lunch, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Instead of doing this activity, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And you'll find uh, it, it will release power in your life over other temptations because you're focusing on things that are spiritual rather than things that are fleshly and carnal. And you realize that you're able to do that. A fast was usually for one day in Scripture, in addition to the Day of Atonement, you see examples of one-day fasts in Judges and Samuels. First uh, and second Samuel, excuse me. Uh, the Jewish day was counted from sunset to sunset, so their fasting meant that it would be broken uh, by eating food after sundown the next day. In our case, normally you, you know fast for a day and have breakfast the next morning kind of a thing. Some fasts were longer. Uh, There is a fast in the book of Esther that continued for three days, day and night. Uh, At the burial of Saul, they fasted, Saul and the King Saul, not not Paul the Apostle. They fasted seven days. David also fasted seven days when his child was ill. Uh, And again, the longest fasts we found in the Bible are 40 days and perhaps 80 days, assuming Moses didn't snack in between (laughs) trips to receive the law. So say I'm going back up the hill. I need, you know, can I grab a sandwich or something? We, you know. Yeah, little little uh, lotka bread or something. I don't know. The biblical principle here is that the length of time you fast is determined by your desires and the occasion or purpose of the fast. The duration can be that which the individual or a group even feels led to set, because there were group fasts. The idea, hey, you don't don't let anybody know you're fasting. That has to do with the, the motivation, the, the spirit behind it. There are times when whole groups of people fasted uh, and, and it was you know, for a, a great purpose and nobody was really you know, saying they were more spiritual. So there's nothing wrong with a group fast. Um, there's a great deal of freedom in the Lord here. Uh, however, it does seem that the most common practice of a normal fast would be for one day. Uh, there's a lot of literature you can get on how to fast longer than a day because you get into some physical things that you need to you know as far as hydration and taking liquids and all that normally when i fast i continue to drink liquids not slushies and and heavy liquids you know but <laughs> chunks nothing with chunks in it you know so it's funny when i i mean i'm the worst faster in the in the world you know i always think of I'm always thinking of something that could fit into my fast that, you know, has some substance to it. And so you have to be careful about that. But uh, a normal, if, you, if you're thinking, hey, you know, this sounds great. I'd like to, I'd like to fast. Then uh, think about setting aside a day and, and uh, don't, don't eat, but drink liquids. You know, make sure you're hydrated with water and those kinds of things. Uh, I had a guy, because we do the fast, you know, last day of the month, it, for those who want to, they have a voluntary fast. And, I had a brother call me earlier this year, and he says, Pastor Gene, I, I think he was asking for forgiveness, actually, but he said, I, I blew it. And he goes, I, I've been fasting all day, and then I forgot, and this afternoon I had a cup of coffee. And I go, oh, that's not sin. That's, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I said, it's up to you, you know, what you want to have. You can, you can fast one meal. and uh, you, know, you can fast the whole day, seven days, 40 days, 80 days. But if you're going to fast longer than a day... Uh, make sure you you've looked into you know how it's going to affect you physically, and especially if you have any medical condition, uh, you know you might want to think about those kinds of things. As I said earlier, if we're honest, we'd probably admit we don't give or pray or fast enough, if at all. Uh, and and that's just the bottom line. As Christians, uh, we're not always good children. You know, I mean. Some of you, you know, those of your parents, I mean, sometimes you, you end up with really good kids that do everything that you, you tell them to do. Uh, and sometimes you end up with kids that have to be nagged and, uh, you know, it's pretty much you're, you're doing everything for them while they're being drugged along, kind of a thing, you know. And same thing in the house of God. You know, we, we love the Lord and He loves us, but uh, many of us, maybe most of us, don't give or pray or fast enough, if at all. These are things that really should accompany our transformed lives. Remember, we we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. The whole point there is that since you are a Christian, this is your, these are your traits, these are your characteristics. Uh, you know, This is your kind of blueprint uh, or, or spiritual DNA. This is how you're going to act as a Christian. And Jesus said, these are the things you're going to do. As a, you're going to give, and you're going to pray, and you're going to fast. And he goes, when you do it, do it this way and not that way. And, and so it's an expectation. And so it behooves us to get alone with the Lord and ask Him how to get jump-started in these disciplines again. Not from a rigid, legalistic point of view, but from the point of view that, yeah, this is what, I should, this is what kids do who are part of this family. They give to the Lord of their finances and time. They talk to the Lord as often as possible and they fast as unto the Lord uh, to just, you know, it's kind of like going to lunch with God, you know, uh, instead of going to lunch with lunch. Uh, You know, I'm going to give up lunch and go to lunch with God and we're going to spend some time together. uh, So so, so I, I think that obviously you know there's a, on the other side of the spectrum you know there's those modernists who feel like fasting is okay but you don't really have to do it there is a lot of really powerful almost overbearing literature from centuries past and the past century about what fasting can accomplish in a li- in our lives and in the life of a church and in the life of a nation even as people would really seek the lord through prayer and fasting uh, and, and, and that he would respond to it. And I, I, sometimes I think some of that goes too far. It almost makes God seem like he's reluctant and and you have to be really, really super spiritual before he'll do anything. There is a balance, however. I mean, if you study the history of revival and things like that, you'll see that often it was uh, accompanied by prayer and fasting, whether prayer and fasting brought it or whether God brought it and, it, and prayer and fasting were just the... Part of it, what's the difference? You know, what we need to do is think hey, Lord, when can I, how much can I give? When can I pray? When should I fast? And so uh, add that to your spiritual discipline and see what the Lord would do with it. Amen.